the Newsmax Daily from Newsmax, America's fastest growing cable news channel. Now, now, here's your host, Rob Carson. Hello, everyone, and welcome again. As I always like to say, TGIM. It wasn't necessarily because of the honeydew li- this uh, list this week. It was it was other stuff. It was other stuff. But anyway, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Just uh, honestly, uh, overwhelming weekend with regard to people discovering the Newsmax Daily, people uh, watching my show. Rob Carson's What in the World on Newsmax. It is uh, incredible the response we're getting. Uh, the show is growing by like 900% per show. Reviews are coming in including uh, on Apple Podcasts. Love it. Uh, This one says, uh, I caught maybe three minutes of Rob Carson's Newsmax show on Saturday. Uh, Absolutely hilarious. Now, I I never miss a podcast. Uh, My daily vitamin says, or I should say, this is a gym boy mom, and I'm I'm her daily vitamin. Uh, My good fortune, I caught Rob Carson's Saturday night show on Newsmax. My first reaction was, uh, mystery science theater meets politics. (laughs) Yeah, cool, cool. Rob packs more into an hour than dailies uh, cover in a week, and the best part is his humor keeps you from losing your mind with a daily madness warning you can't listen to just one it's not a warning you want to do it you want to become addicted it's pretty cool uh rob carson has the ability to get right to the heart of the matter when delivering news and delivers the jokes and zingers that keep the podcast on a lighter note and i do guys and occasionally i do um i don't mean to be strident at all but uh, you know when you it's like for instance when you're you're protecting your children if somebody really you know tries to threaten them you react in a very profound manner and I think the country is under attack, and I wanted to defend it. So, also, this is from uh, KROR12. Rob, you're such a real person who speaks the truth about everything. I patiently uh, wait for your show every day. I laugh and I cry every day with you. Thank you. Uh, keep up the great work. I'm listening. I love it. I love it. I love it. Guys, I got to tell you, there's a lot of things going on in the country that I'm going to get to today. Um, but, you know, there's a great awakening occurring. There is a great awakening occurring. And that is one that is uh, political, uh, one about critical race theory was one about this, the, the country, the border, the, uh, the future of the country, patriotism and whatnot. And people are just actually fed up. They were fed up, by the way. They were fed up before the election. And uh, we'll debate the merits of the election uh, when we get some time. But people are really fed up now. And I'm going to share some examples of how people are coming together and people are really, really, really becoming um, very patriotic. And because every day we're being faced with an onslaught of people telling us, oh, you know what? Critical race theory is really good. It's really awesome. It doesn't teach children to hate each other. It doesn't teach black kids that they can't achieve anything. And it doesn't say that white kids are all born racist and evil, but it does. So uh, we're going to get into that here as the show uh, progresses. But here's the positive. We've got July 4th coming up. July 4th is Independence Day. And this one is going to be the biggest one ever because people are fed up. They really are. We saw an overreach by the Democrat Party with regard to COVID. We've seen an assault on our institutions, uh, all of the statues. Remember all the statues being torn down, the American flags being burned over the weekend. We we saw these uh, Juneteenth celebrations that descended into absolute chaos and rioting. Ah, it's so nice. We, what, what a tribute. What a tribute. Martin Luther King Jr. is spinning in his grave like a baseball bat on a lathe. So uh, let's get into the day's events, and then we will, of course, um, give you some hope, because that's the most important thing, I think. There's a a lot of uh, hope that needs to be shared. Joe Biden warned that unvaccinated Americans need to act now against the deadlier Indian Delta variant. 
that is more easily transmissible. Now, here's the interesting thing. Joe Biden says that uh, the data shows that young people aren't wanting to get vaccinated. Young people don't want to get vaccinated. And the reason being is they are literally never really affected by the virus, particularly as much as, you know, older uh, people are. And so a lot of young people are saying, you know, I really don't need it. And so they're doing this push to not only get kids vaccinated between the ages of six and 18, but also even infants. But Joe Biden said that the Delta virus, the Delta variant is uh, more transmissible potentially deadlier and particularly dangerous for young people. That's very convenient. The Delta virus, the Delta variant has suddenly popped up just in time for people who are not getting the vaccine, who are young people, to come along. So here's a little bit from the uh, president. I guess this is on Friday. If you are unvaccinated, you're at risk of getting seriously ill or dying or spreading it. People getting seriously ill and being hospitalized due to COVID-19 are those who have not been fully vaccinated. Like, are you still listening to this man? Are you still listening to this guy? Because I'm not listening to him. I haven't listened to him since day one. But it's getting worse. The new variant will leave unvaccinated people. He's struggling to read the teleprompter. Even more vulnerable than they are. Delta variant, kids. A month ago. Be very afraid. Or a month ago. (laughs) <laughs> this is a serious concern. Yeah. Especially because of what experts are calling the... Isn't it amazing when people start to taste freedom and they start to maybe question where the virus came from, like a lab in, in Wuhan, China, uh, suddenly a new Delta variant, a Delta variant has suddenly arisen. Delta virus, the Delta variant. It's a variant that is more easily transmissible. Do you, do you realize how 1984 this is? Honestly, this is very, very, very 1984. Suddenly, whenever whenever people start to venture some way, it's like, uh, do you remember uh, the Truman Show? Remember the Truman Show with Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey was being videotaped since the day he was born. His life was made into a reality show. And every time he tried to escape, something came in the way. He tried to escape, and suddenly there was a, a nuclear power plant meltdown on the way out of town. He could not leave. And and then it, every time he tried to get out of the city, somebody blocked him. This is the same thing. You are living the Truman Show. Every time you try to escape, every time you try to uh, escape group think or or say maybe you know what this is this and this is this uh, they immediately set up a roadblock and say if you try to leave you're going to die potentially deadlier and particularly dangerous for young people but the good news this is this just pops up listen hold on hold on now listen to this this is where it becomes very propagandistic and you need to pay attention to this and and realize that it is scripted listen to this and particularly dangerous for young people But the good news is we have the solution. The science and the data are clear. The best way to protect yourself against these variants. What is that, Joe? Or to get fully vaccinated. Ah. So please, please, if you have one shot, get the second shot as soon as you can. So you're fully vaccinated. The only thing that makes it creepier is his cadence. You know, it really is. It's, it is, uh, it is nuts. Now, I, I'm not trying to tell you what to do as far as vaccine is concerned. I don't care. Uh, I really don't want to care. Uh, share with you whether I'm going to get vaccinated or not. It's, it's not your business. Your business is not my business. Uh, but it does raise some questions that suddenly, when certain groups are saying, "I really don't need to get vaccinated," somehow a new variant called the Delta variant pops up and says, "You better get this." 
You better get this. I'm sorry. I've never lived in a more dystopian and odd world than right now. And I just feel like we're being played. Alejandro Mayorkas, who is the, uh, what, the uh, DHS secretary, he is uh, presiding over the worst breach of our border in the history of the country, essentially, at least in 20 years. And Donald Trump was not president 20 years ago. So that points to the fact that the border crisis has been caused by policy. He was grilled by Representative Ralph Norman on Friday. I want you to hear a little bit of this because here is a man who is the DHS secretary who's supposed to be in charge of the border, completely failing, doing a face plant on his duties with a million people, at least a million people so far just this year sneaking across the border, an unprecedented number in 20 years, and all caused by policy. Here he is, Mr. Miarkas, being shredded by Representative Ralph Norman. Check this out. It's awesome. Uh, Does it make sense for the leaders of the free world to go in in, to to talk to and see what's going on at the border? You didn't answer it with Mr. Katko. And all I'm now he's talking about the uh, border czar Kamala Harris, who should be fired summarily from the job, not visiting the border in around 85 or so days since she was made the border czar. Now, the the title of the, the, the office that she was given, or I should say the position she was given is border czar. Now, the border is between the United States and Mexico. Consequently... You should go to the border where the crisis is happening. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? I've used this uh, I've used this analogy. If you are the NFL commissioner and you choose to go to baseball games, that is the wrong place for you to go because you are the NFL commissioner which is in charge of football. Saying is we don't want words, we don't want we want actions. And when you say you're trying to hire border patrol agents, where's the money? We we have congressman uh, the funds to hire this guy is the ultimate statement of a weak need political puppet and he talks a good game but he really has, he has no clue what he is doing whatsoever and should be fired immediately because what he is doing as the department of homeland security director is he's blowing it border patrol agents to fill the vacancies number one number two i am the secretary of homeland security yeah and it is my responsibility um, uh, to manage uh, the border. Then why are you doing such a lousy job? You should be fired. At the direction of the president and the vice president, and I have visited... Ah, the-, uh, the direction of the president and vice president means that he's giving orders to essentially do uh, the opposite of what he's supposed to. The border on multiple occasions. Have you talked to the border patrol agents? Number three, and number have three, you talked to the border finally. patrol agents? And number three and four. Have you spoken with the Border Patrol agent? Did you not hear what the congressman just said, sir? I most certainly have. I most certainly have. No, you haven't, because they're saying that uh, uh, it's a mess. Number three, if I may, um, the vice president served as the attorney general of a border state of California. And she is quite familiar. (laughs) That means something. Familiar uh, with the situation on the border. But she's laughing at she has not been there. I'm reclaiming my time, Secretary Mayorkas. Uh, All right, here's a little bit more from uh, Ralph Norman with Secretary Mayorkas leading the DHS into the abyss. It's an insult. We're claiming my time for you to say that you're looking at the border wall and, and looking at it. When you're not, all, what do you have to look at? You're not building it. When you say technology, <laughs> what I've heard, how effective once the million to two million people are in this country illegally, how effective is technology going to be to root them out and to find out who they are when you don't know who's coming in in the first place? Uh, Congressman, Congressman, the factual premise of your question is inaccurate. 
Okay. So well, that is very academic of you, sir. You just um, and uh, technology has proven to be an effective force multiplier. How about stopping them from coming in the first place? No! How about knowing who's coming in the country? Is that no! My common sense. We, it is a multi-pronged uh, uh, effort, and we do that as well. And you are failing, by the way. And you are failing. If you are in the private industry, okay, say, for instance, um, you are the uh, head of security at uh, a major bank, and you just decide to open the doors and uh, disarm your, uh, you know, your, your security. Actually, just give the day off. Just give the day off to the guys who are uh, in charge of protecting the bank's assets. Allow people to just come in and clean out the vaults. No big deal. And then when you are questioned about it, you act all defensive and everything and act like you're doing a very good job. Was that a good analogy? I think it was a pretty good analogy because that's what's happening. And people are suffering because of it, by the way. People are suffering because of it. People on the border, people around the country are suffering. And by the way, it is the sovereign duty of the United States federal government to protect the sovereign border of the country and not suddenly relinquish its responsibilities so they can flood the country with illegals who presumably will vote Democrat. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Left wing. Now, on top of all of this, we know that a virus came from China. We are beginning to understand where the virus came from. Even John Stewart said on Stephen Colbert, it's pretty obvious it came from the Wuhan viral lab that studies coronaviruses and bat viruses and attempts to weaponize them. And we, by the way, paid for that gain of function research. It becomes painfully obvious after a while that China is our enemy and China maybe unintentionally or who knows, intentionally released it on the world. Because the amazing thing is, as this virus spread in Wuhan, they shut down Wuhan, but they allowed people to leave Wuhan uh, on international flights. But the Biden administration is afraid to, I don't know why, maybe hold a country that is responsible. Think about this real quick. A virus comes from China, is unleashed on the entire world. Why can't we say... You caused 500,000 deaths. You caused trillions of dollars in damage as far as the economy is concerned. You destroyed businesses. You destroyed the ability of us to educate our children for crying out loud. You destroyed us going out, eating out at you know restaurants, leaving the country to travel, all of this. Why can't we hold you responsible? If this were the United States and we unleashed this and there was some evidence pointing to a lab in New York City... The world would come down on us, and it's time for that to happen to China. Here is a uh, spokesperson for the Biden administration basically refusing to name. They're applying any sort of pressure on China to uh, figure out where this virus came from. And then the second question is how they're going to make up for it. Let's turn to China. We still don't know whether the coronavirus developed naturally or whether it came from a lab. And we won't know if we depend on the Biden administration for the answers because they have taken away the, uh, the administrative investigation started by the Trump administration with Mike Pompeo. They got rid of it the day that Joe Biden was inaugurated. And Joe Biden says they're going to give it 90 days to figure out where it came from. Nothing is going to happen from that probe. Nothing will happen. Even though to the rest of us, it's fairly obvious. Wuhan, China is stonewalling an investigation. And you said that we just can't take this lying down. So what does that mean in practical terms? If China won't allow access, will the United States consider action against China to increase the pressure? 
Here's the non excuse me. Here's the non-answer, kids. Well, first, Anna, there are two tracks that we're operating on in terms of trying to get to the bottom of how COVID. Yeah, there's honesty and dishonesty. Those are the two tracks. We we tend to kind of stick with the dishonesty. Nineteen came into the world. One track is an intelligence community assessment that President Biden ordered. That has a 90-day clock on it. Which you've already made up your mind what the decision will be that it, we don't know or it didn't come from China. There's no reason for a 90-day window. You've already made up your mind. And in August. It's like Facebook saying, hey, we're going to give it 60 days to decide whether Donald Trump is going to be allowed on our platform. They made up their mind the very first day. They waited 60 days to make it act like they actually were waiting 60 days, but they were never going to allow him back on the platform. The intelligence community will report back. The second track is an international investigation led by the World Health Organization. Ah, the World Health Organization that lied about China being the source of the virus initially. For which President Biden has rallied Democratic partners to say there must Democratic be partners. access to China to be able to get the data necessary to understand what happened. Even CNN is sending their slack jog going, really, dude? Here. We are not at this point going to issue threats or ultimatums. What we're going to do is continue to rally support in the international community. No, see, we live in a very cruel world where there are despots in charge of most nations and most of them want you to fail. And they also want to uh, blow up your country, uh, blow up your family and take your property. So that's nonsense. And if it turns out that China refuses to live up to its international obligations, we will have to consider our responses at that point, And we will do so in concert with allies. Oh, so very esoteric. So very non-threatening. So very nothing's going to happen because of it. Oh, by the way, the Seattle Gay Pride group, this is apparently uh, a black a gay pride, yeah, taking black pride organizers in Seattle. So they're, they're segregating themselves. They're not only gay, but they're also black. They're going to charge a reparation fee to uh, white people to attend. <laughs> Seattle City Council uh, president is apparently all over this. Mayoral candidate Lorena Gonzalez and the Seattle Human Rights Commission are perfectly cool. Taking black pride says all are welcome to attend. However, white allies and accomplices <laughs> and accomplices must pay a reparations fee. It will be charged on a sliding scale of $10 to $50, depending on one's ability to pay. How insane is this? By the way, Seattle Municipal Code clearly prohibits racial discrimination, but organizers push back, calling criticism of their admissions structure casual violence, of course. Yeah, the casual violence of excluding people from your... Uh, from your parade and making white people pay for something that happened before they were born and most of their relatives uh, came here at least 70, 80 years after slavery. It's kind of funny. Critical race theory has been banned in Texas. Now, the reason why um, critical race theory is being banned is because of uh, racism and everybody, everybody who is against it is racist. Except for a lot of the black parents and parents of color like Azra Numani in uh, Fairfax County, Virginia, who said it's nonsense who's been told, even though she is a, uh, a minority, she is an Indian American, blah, 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 that she is white adjacent. If you're, not, if you're not a white supremacist or you're not a white person, if you agree with anything from the white side of the political spectrum, uh, you are a white adjacent. We're going to have her on the show tomorrow. But uh, Texas has become the latest state to ban critical race theory because it is hateful. It is awful. It teaches black kids that they cannot succeed whatsoever because of racial institutional racism. It is absolutely nonsense. It is a, an insult to all of the great black Americans who have, uh, who have made their mark in history, not only in the United States, but around the world. 
around the world. Other states, Arkansas, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Arizona, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi. I mean, that's wow, the total bastion of whiteness, Mississippi. Sure. New Hampshire, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, Utah, West Virginia, Wisconsin. They've all said, you know what? Nonsense. I'm not here to brainwash my kids. The educational institutions of America not here to brainwash the kids. And people of color and other parents are actively involved for the first time in their lives in the decisions that these radical school boards are issuing. It is nonsense. It is nonsense. This is interesting. A Joy Reid, who is just, oh my God, an insufferable woman, slammed her opponent, Chris Rufo. He is a conservative. He is saying that it is nonsense. He is a journalist and documentary filmmaker. And he said, Joy, bring it on if you want to debate critical race theory. I will destroy you. She, of course, immediately said that the offer of a debate was a white man's demand. <laughs> it was a white man's demand. He's not necessarily just a white guy. He's actually kind of ethnic. I'm not sure what of that, that ethnicity, but we all kind of are a, of, a, of an ethnicity, if you would. We're all not necessarily Caucasoids. There are mixed race uh, black children. There are Asian and white children. There are Asian and black children. It's crazy, right? But everybody who maybe appears to be maybe a little white needs to be taken down because they're racist. <laughs> so, of course, Joy Reid went a little uh, nuts. She actually went after this guy. This is, now, this is the worst thing ever. And I would encourage those who are opposed to something I say, uh, you may write me personally. That's fine. You may comment on, you know, Apple Podcasts, whatever. I will debate you if you're not insane. I would, I would have a conversation with you. Unless you're bat blip, blip, crazy. This man, Christopher Rufo, is not Chris Rufo. Not at all. But here is Joy Reid going after this guy using the cudgel of the national media and not giving this man a chance to defend himself. This is a guy named Christopher Rufo, who's at the, a conservative think tank, uh, at, at a conservative think tank. And he says the goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. We've decodified the term and we'll recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. Basically using critical race theory as a brand name. Oh, absolutely. It's a distraction. Uh, you're right. No one is teaching critical race theory. Oh, no, they actually are. Very, K through 12. Just to be clear, can you just... Yeah, and you're saying all these people who go to school board meetings and say they're teaching critical race theory are liars. It is a law school... What is critical race theory? C critical race te theory talks about the influence of race in American laws, even things that don't have to do specifically with the... the Including unconscious bias that you don't know you have, but apparently you do. And that's the amazing thing. It's like saying that uh, while you're dreaming, you thought of something, and that makes you a racist. It's really that bad. It's really that stupid, honestly. Here is a PBS reporter uh, over the weekend talking about how critical race theory is motivating people to, uh, to uh, and resonating very deeply. Now, here's the thing. It's not resonating for the defenders of it. It's resonating for the people who say it's nonsense and they're going to school board meetings and they're saying, I don't want my children brainwashed by it. But here is PBS trying to change the argument over the weekend. And that was the way it was with national media across the board. They realized that critical race theory is under attack. It is losing. And they went to the mainstream media to say that your thoughts about it are nonsense. Even if you're a person of color debating about it, coming up, a black man who says it's nonsense. And this is where the left immediately went. We've got to put this thing into full-on protect mode. 
Yeah, and specific to this idea of critical race theory, I have to tell you, just spent some time reporting on this county in Virginia about an hour outside of Washington. And, and to your point, this is something that is mobilizing people and sure. resonating. By the way, Loudoun County, Virginia is not an hour outside of Washington, D.C. It is minutes outside of Washington, D.C. And so is Fairfax County. These are majorly, majorly, majorly mixed districts. And they are literally people of color as well as white people are saying this is nonsense. Very deeply. It was about a 100 degree day. Dozens and dozens and dozens of parents, mostly white in this. Ah, they're mostly white. Largely affluent county showed up to a school board meeting for many of them, the very first school board meeting they'd ever attended. You know, why did they show up? Why did they show up? Because they're racist? Specifically because of this one issue. Okay, so here is a, uh, a black dad. I played this last week. And here is his uh, discourse. And this has been said by other people, including my friend Azra Nomani, who is Indian. But even people of color are going, this is nonsense. So please tell me if this man's a racist. When you talk about critical race theory, which is pretty much going to be teaching kids how to hate each other, how to dislike each other, that's pretty much what it's going to that's pretty much, I don't care what it's pretty much what it's going to all come down to. You're going to deliberately teach kids? This white kid right here got it better than you because he white? You're going to perfectly... Guys, this started 30 years ago when I was in college and I dropped a sociology a study course. Even though I risked academic punishment when my sociology teacher, this boomer hippie from hell, told this kid from Iowa who's never done a racist thing in his damn life except for exist and work on a farm and bust his butt and live in poverty for the first 22 years of his life, that suddenly I was responsible for slavery. And this is where essentially I think I became a conservative at 19 years old. You tell a white kid, oh, the black people are all down to suppress. How do I have two medical degrees if I'm sitting here Clearly, the white slave owners gave you that uh, those degrees uh, to cover up any sort of racism that they committed. Two medical degrees. No mom, no dad in the house. Worked my way through college. Sat there and hustled my butt off to get through college. You gonna tell me somebody that looked like all y'all white folks kept me from doing So his parents abandoned him, and he was still able to get things done even though he was raised by his grandparents. Are you serious? Not one white person ever came to me and said, well, son, you're never going to be able to get nowhere because you know the black people. But guess what? What's sickening about this whole thing is what y'all doing right now is already something. By the way, my father left me when I was seven years old, never looked back, not one phone call, not one visit, not even a shadow of him ever existing. And uh, and I remember the night that he left, he slammed the door, the glass broke, my mom cried, and uh, and I still was able to get past it, actually. I was still able to survive. It, it's amazing what happens. But I'm a white guy, so I can't really share that i do in my community right now to speak out against stuff because black folks are getting told by other black folks because i'm privileged even though my father left me at seven years old and never looked back and i had all those questions literally for decades but i'm white so no big deal oh uh, you know you ain't gonna be able to do nothing out there in the world because them white folks ain't gonna let you get no you want to compare life profiles with hardship and all that bring it bring it I am the antithesis of privilege. No, you're not going to be able to do it here because the white, the, the white man, the white man will keep you down. Well, how did I get where I am right now if some white man kept me down? That is really weird. Here is MSNBC with a panelist who says that uh, uh, parents should not know what their children are being taught. And this is, this is a full court press, by the way, against critical race theory over the weekend by the mainstream media. Not only do you have people saying that the criticism is probably racist, uh, you know, they want to cover up the truth and whatever, but also that when they do teach your kids this stuff, you have no right to know what they're teaching your kid. This is the ultimate. Listen to this. 
It's hard for me as a reporter because I don't want to put uh, foils in a bad light, right? Freedom of information laws are wonderful things, but it is, in fact, a tactic. But the freedom of information laws are there only to cover leftist policies. Uh, but if, if, if a conservative comes along, then it's nonsense. Of um, national and just hyper and, and uh, fast-growing local organizations to use onerous public records requests. So we'll see what we saw. In- so when it comes from grassroots conservative movements, it's onerous. It's onerous when it comes from the wrong side of the political equation. Is asking for all of these records requests of, you know, how much money did you spend on anything involving race? And then that is used to sort of um, frame again. It's racist. And the school board as being um, as, as paying for for um, uh CRT, which, again, is just not the case. And so that's what happened there in Nevada. Well, you shouldn't know about it because it's really it's nonsense. It's crazy. You shouldn't ask where the Wuhan virus came from. That's just insane. It's just nuts. It's just nuts. Here's a Yale professor talking about how uh, asking questions about um, critical race theory is akin to uh, Nazi Germany trying to erase its past. Jamil mentions the fear uh, that's driving a lot of this, the, the kind of manufactured fear. But it's not just... Oh, it's manufactured fear. No, it's not, actually. It's when your kid comes home and says that you're a racist, sexist, homophobe because of what they were taught in school that day, which happened to me, by the way. Yeah, okay. In terms of uh, critical race theory and you know academic teaching, it's, it's the attack on elites. It's- My daughter literally said that I was a racist, sexist, and homophobe. And what I did was I told her... I'm never going to kick her out of the house. But I said that is nonsense and I will not allow it to be said to me again. It's the fear of socialism taking over America that we've seen in places like Hungary under Viktor Orban and under Vladimir Putin's Russia. You wrote a book about fascist propaganda. Is all of this... But this can't be fascist propaganda. I mean, it happened everywhere else and they use the same modus operandi, but it can't happen here. It's not happening here. Of that? Absolutely. What, what if Germany, what if AfD, the neo-fascist party in Germany that advocates ending Holocaust education, came to power and ended Holocaust education? Nonsense. That is absolutely nonsense. Uh, this is about, we have always recognized slavery as the original sin of the country. It was also the way of the world. It was also the way of the world. And by the way, many states were free before we declared our independence, okay? So nonsense. This is such a horrible, horrible, horrible comparison. And you've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, if you are required to have a vaccine passport to go to work, to make a living, to travel or escape the country... She compares it to Nazi Germany, and, and she is derided for it. And yet this fool can say, if you disagree with a brainwashing tactic being used in schools to make black kids think they can't accomplish anything, and white kids believe that they are somehow incredibly racist and hateful and awful, if you make that comparison with Nazi Germany, that's completely fine. Uh, and they say the same talking points there. They say, we don't want Germans to feel guilty about Yeah, a really bad comparison. Here's where we're going to get hopeful today, because I think this is pretty cool. If you didn't see this, and I didn't have a chance to share it last week, this is a uh, fans at a new uh, New York Islanders hockey game. It's, it's kind of strange how this happened, actually. I go to uh, this talk convention last week in, uh, in New York, and I stayed right behind this venue where the Islanders play. It's kind of funny that I was there, even though I didn't go see a game. 
But literally a few days later, Islanders fans were led in a singing of the national anthem. And they owned it. A lot of the times we sit here and the national anthem, we don't really sing it. We just kind of go, and we let it go. It's kind of like a kid do uh, with me in church. I'm a good singer, but I don't like singing in church. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't like singing in church. I just, I, uh, but the crowd decided to start singing the national anthem and the singer was so overwhelmed by the crowd's response that she backed away and let the crowd sing. This is amazing. And this is a metaphor for what's going on in the country. This is where people are going, I'm done with this nonsense. I love America. I don't want to tear down statues. I am tired of this. I'm tired of us being run over by the entire world. We are right. We love America. We love our history. You can try to tell us that we're somehow racist, but we're not. Nonsense. Nonsense. And I would venture to say the crowd is uh, actually not all just white people. But listen to this anthem if you have not heard it. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting tonight's colors is the United States Coast Guard. And now, please join... By the way, you haven't heard this sort of an anthem since 9-11. You have not heard this kind of an anthem from a crowd since 9-11 and the days thereafter. Why do you think this is? Because average Americans who love one another, regardless of their skin tone, feel like they're being threatened and they're being lied to, and it's nonsense. And we're being led by the left to believe that we are the worst this country's ever been since 1968 and 1863, and America's going bull, baloney. This is not covered by the mainstream media. A lot of mainstream media won't cover these things. But this is what's happening in the country, and we're dang tired of it. This is a metaphor for where we are right now. This is the reason why black people and white people are going to school board meetings and saying, bullcrap, my kids don't hate each other because of color. It doesn't matter. Nicole Revive, as we sing together. Was I getting strident there? Let me bring it down a tone. Our national anthem. Breathe, Rob. standing there and singing the lyrics off mic so the crowd can hear. No kneeling players. So glorious. that sort of uh, impassioned version of the anthem other than a bellwether shift in the country and perhaps 
people defending the country from an attack like happened on 9-11. The only difference is there are no burning towers. But there is the same desire by the left to destroy the country. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Unbelievable. Here is Sebastian Gorka filling in for uh, uh, Grant Stinchfield talking about this anthem performance with uh, Lee Zeldin. He is a representative from New York. Those Long Islanders at Nassau Coliseum belting out that national anthem. We don't sit. We stand. We sing it loud and proud. Uh, it, it was a special moment. <laughs> and uh, and you, though, you end with that clip of Andrew Cuomo talking about who cares. And I'm thinking about, you know, what we do know he does care about was that $5.1 million self-congratulatory book deal. Uh, you get it, uh, Seb. You, you talk about it on your radio show. Uh, you talk about it here on TV. Uh, this is certainly a moment in time where freedom-loving patriots all across this country uh, need to stand up and, and sing that national anthem loud and proud, stand for our values, our principles, our beliefs, Call out the double standards and hypocrisy of electeds, like what you just played from Andrew Cuomo, and restore balance to this country again. We're, this is, in many ways, it feels like a last stand. Whoa, I think you're right, actually. And the amazing thing is that we are going to stand. We are going to stand. Crazy. Crazy. So there's a lot of um, discrimination happening in the country, particularly against Asian kids who want to get into college, including at Harvard. But there was a holiday on Friday called Juneteenth, and my wife and I, we went up to my mother's house to clean out her home after her uh, death, and I'll share my thoughts on that in a moment. But Juneteenth was rushed through the Congress. The Democrat Party felt that they could use it as some sort of a weapon against Republicans who would refuse to uh, admit this is a holiday. Uh, and I had a debate with my wife, and she said, I think it, it should be a policy uh, holiday. It's about time. And I said, yes, and I agree. I agree completely. And I also said that these holidays, we don't need days off anymore. Because right now, if you combine the, the holidays, uh, the federal holidays with vacation pay and sick leave, federal employees get 44 days off a year. And she's like, but in France, they get six weeks off. And by the way, in August, Paris is shut down. I don't care. I'm from the school that you go to work. And so I had to work on Memorial Day. I had to work on Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Here's the thing about holidays, and I'll explain why they exist. Not only is it commemoration, don't get me wrong but also as a way to break up the monotony that is life. Think about your life. You do the same thing pretty much every day. You know, I, I do the same thing every day. I get up very early. I come in, I prepare my show. I get done with that. I, I you know, maybe I'll take a nap or I'll do whatever. And I've got an entire honeydew list of things to do. And then I have to consider TV appearances later in the day. Maybe you do the same thing. You get up in the morning, you prepare a coffee for your wife or yourself, and you, you go to work, and you work all day, and you come home at 5 o'clock. Maybe you're going to go to the gym, and then and this is a way to cut through the monotony of the day. Year-round, we, we, we deal with the mundanity of life with a, with a holiday to look forward to, I think, to some degree. Now, they do exist. Uh, the Christmas exists as a celebration of the birth of Christ, who Christians consider, consider their, their Savior. But there are other things. Valentine's Day, that were just kind of created. Val come, guys, Valentine's Day is a joke. Valentine, and listen, it's it's just about uh, that one's a card company holiday. And listen, I like Valentine's Day. Nobody gets Valentine's Day off, but what it does is it gives you a day to look forward to in the modernity of your entire life. Halloween is a celebration of the false, you know, the autumn uh, solstice, whatever. But it's also just a, something to look forward to in your life, where everybody can celebrate together because 
we all pretty much face the same mundanity of life, and we need things to occasionally make it extraordinary. Now, you may consider, and I do consider every moment with my children to be extraordinary, but it's kind of nice that we can celebrate Halloween together or Christmas together as Christians. And Valentine's Day rolls around, and you're cool to Mother's Day and Father's Day. And they're nice, and they make you acknowledge other people. But then there are these holidays that you have to take the day off, like Labor Day, which makes no sense. It is a day to honor working people by giving them a day off. Okay. Anyway, here is a Cortez and Pellegrino on Newsmax talking to Pedro Gonzalez, the associate editor of The Chronicle, about June 19th and why it became all of a sudden important to Democrats this year. I think part of it is actually just the fooled part. There's more to it. But I'll start with it, the politicization has already happened. If you look at online search trends, Juneteenth for years has been of no interest to the vast majority of Americans. Uh, not just that they weren't aware of it, they weren't interested in knowing what it was, just because they didn't know it existed. It actually wasn't until the week of the George Floyd riots that there was this exponential increase in searches for Juneteenth. Pay attention, kids. Because the left latched onto it as a kind of way to, like you said, use it as a symbol to discredit Independence Day as a fundamentally racist event. And it, make everybody who is conservative Republican do into some sort of racist. A day that excluded everyone else except for one group. So that already happened. And I think instinctively, a lot of Americans, specifically Republican voters, understand that symbolism because the latest polling from May, from late May, shows that only 7% of Republican voters want, wanted Juneteenth to be a federal holiday. But their party did it anyways and then browbeat them into basically... Because if you don't think it should be a federal holiday immediately, you're a racist. Either you, you, know, either you accept this and you accept what we're telling you, or what's implied is that you're racist. There's something wrong with you. You're an apologist for slavery. You're an apologist for this, basically for what the left is already accusing you of being. The GOP did that. They didn't need the Democratic Party's help. By the way, uh, riots and violence happened around the country on uh, Juneteenth, and uh, a lot of them were committed in inner cities by black people. I'm not trying to rip on black people, but that's the worst way that you can celebrate a Juneteenth. I think I'm stating the obvious. I think I'm stating the obvious. It's okay, apparently, in higher education to discriminate against uh, Asian people because they're uh, driven. Okay, I'm not saying that most of our, I'm driven, I'm driven. Uh, a lot of people are driven, doesn't necessarily uh, deal with your skin tone. But when you look at in cities like Minneapolis, where 80% of black kids are raised without fathers, you kind of have to look at some systemic and societal issues that are keeping children from achieving what is possible in this country. But at Harvard, apparently a lot of Asian people with tiger moms are being denied admission because they're Asian, because they don't want too many Asians there. There's a case coming to the Supreme Court. Alan Dershowitz talked to Rob Schmidt about this case going before the Supreme Court and uh, sanctioned racism against Asian people in higher education. Well, the DOJ will say no. The DOJ, this DOJ, will say that what Harvard's doing is perfectly proper. But this is a very, very difficult case because... This is a case where race is not being taken into account only positively to help African-American students. It is clearly being taken into effect negatively to hurt uh, Asian-American students. Mm -hmm. It's much, much more difficult to get into major American universities today if you're Asian-American than if you're an African-American or if you're 
a non-Asian American. And so this is going to be a perfect opportunity for those on the Supreme Court who have questions. You can't have too many people of this class or that class. It's got to be even. It's about affirmative action. Despite real societal issues that need to be addressed. To weigh in and say, look, whatever you might say about affirmative action, you can't have negative reaction against people based on their race. Here's a little bit more about how higher uh, education is actually, um, instead of making room for Asians and other classes, they are eliminating Asian people because they don't meet some sort of quota, that there are too many Asian people, not enough black people. So this means raising the boats of people who are underperforming. That could be white kids. And eliminating Asians because we have too many of them. Ridiculous. I have for 40 years advocated a different approach at Harvard. This is not affirmative action. I've said to Harvard, if you want to add 13 or 14 percent more people who are African-American or other minority, fine, just expand the class. Uh, make the class 15 or 16 percent bigger. That way, everybody imagine that in the class suffers equally. Nobody is excluded. <laughs> everybody who would have been admitted is admitted. And everybody has to suffer a little bit because of larger classes. That's one possible way of approaching the problem without hurting anybody. But the school wouldn't do that. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it really is. I mean, inherently, it is racist. And, and do we have any indication you say it's very hard to get in as Asian-American? Is it harder as Asian than it is as white or is it just equally you're you got a tough shot? It's harder. Because Can you imagine if you spent your entire life raising your kid to be excellent? And they were excluded because if we added your kid to our academic lineup, that would mean we have too many Asian kids or too many white kids or too many Indian kids. Because there are so many extraordinarily Unreal. qualified. You're wrecking lives of kids who could be extraordinary. I don't think that inherently genetically Asian Americans, I don't think any group is any smarter than any other group. But there are cultural factors. Thank uh, you. People work Thank you. Very, very, very hard. Right. Uh, people take all kind of prep courses. And uh, I have been told by people on the admissions uh, at Harvard that if they were, if they did it colorblind, if they just took the top 2,000 students, yeah. the class would be overwhelmingly um, Asian American. And they don't want that. See, what normally you need to do is if you see Asian Americans kicking your butt, <clears throat> you go, all right, and it's not, it's not about saying, I'm going to beat them Asians. It's about, I'm going to get myself into Yale or Harvard on my own merits. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My son is in school, and he is excellent at what he does. It's not because he wants to beat them black kids. He wants to beat them Asian kids. He doesn't care because all of his friends are black and Asian and, and Hispanic and whatever. That doesn't matter. What Alan Dershowitz is saying here is absolute common sense and that this is occurring in higher education in this country is absolutely insane, deplorable, and awful and needs to be stopped. It needs to be stopped. It's nonsense. I've only got time for a couple of more stories here. I'm going to share something with you. I was raised Catholic. I'm not a practicing Catholic now. I do believe in the teachings of the church. I also believe that there have been a lot of sins committed by the church, but there are some truths that are real within the church. One of them is the defense of life before birth. This weekend, I was um, in my mother's home cleaning out 
her belongings that she asked be distributed to the family rather than just have a sale. And one of my will be forever one of the greatest memories of my life was receiving communion with my mother in the hospital on Mother's Day the week before she died. Because to me it is precious. Do I understand completely what the Eucharist is all about? No. And, and if you're Jewish or you're Baptist, maybe you don't understand either. And I don't want to sound weird or anything. It's just it's near and dear to me. And Joe Biden is a, a rabid leftist puppet. He is perfectly fine with abortion no matter when. Nancy Pelosi is a Catholic as well. She says she wouldn't even address whether a 15-year-old baby in the womb is a human being last week. And that means says not only are you not Catholic, but you're an evil person. Here he is actually, Cortez and uh, Pellegrino talking with Brian Church of Catholic Vote. His, his last name is Church. I know, pretty cool. Talking about uh, the Catholic Church denying people like Joe Biden communion and why it's important. President Trump, uh, let's face it, was a rough man. He was irreverent, but he was a champion for Catholics. And we see the exact opposite in Joe Biden. He's somebody who appears to be very pious, uh, yet he knifes Catholic teaching every time he gets the chance in public policy. Your reaction? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, there's another important distinction, Steve, and that is Donald Trump is not a Catholic and he never claimed to be. And, and he definitely didn't hold himself out as a, quote, devout Catholic uh, while flaunting core Catholic social teachings, especially on the sanctity of life. I mean, Joe Biden, he was raised a Catholic. He, he still goes to church. He campaigned as a good Catholic who admires the pope and carries the rosary in his pocket. But unfortunately, with that comes some obligations. And I think what the Catholic bishops said today and what many believers across the country uh, are saying is that we aren't fools. Uh, we expect right. Catholics, uh, not just Joe Biden, but all Catholics, to respect what we teach and believe. Amen, my friends. Amen, my friends. That's going to do it for the show today. I do want to share a personal observation, if you don't mind. And, and apparently the, they resonate with people. And I'm not dishonest. I'm not a dishonest person. I'm not here to mislead you. And I do want to share with you my life when I feel like it, you might appreciate it. This weekend, I went to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I cleaned out my mother's house with my relatives. And it was a, a moment that a lot of us, I mean, when we're children, we begin mourning our parents, the departure of our parents from our lives. We know when we accept the fact that there will be an end to this, this earth and we move on. And I remember as a little boy, I used to cry in mourning for my parents, knowing that they would pass eventually. And then it happens. I was blessed enough to live 55 years on the earth with, with my mother as my mother, and I knew her. And she lived to be almost 92 years old, and we went into her home. And you, you walk into this ground that is suddenly quite sacred, and you go into a bedroom where she left and went to hospice, and you see her clothes hanging there and you see the last moments of her life before she went to the hospital. Many things caught in the middle of doing something or in the middle of uh, knitting something. And I saw this and I uh, did what any son would do and I mourned again I didn't go there to get stuff. I didn't go there to get stuff. But I did ask for things because I didn't need them. I don't think they had any value. No value. Nothing I, I got was a value. 
I took record albums of Jimmy Dean and Johnny Cash and other artists that a needle has not been dropped on in 40 years since I dropped the needle on them when I was a child. Because I thought they were valuable? No, no, because I played those Johnny Cash records and those Jimmy Dean records and all the other records and the Peter Pan soundtrack because I was a kid and I, and I loved them and it meant something to just have them. And last night we sat around and we played those records and we were in my mom's house. We played those records for the first time in 40 years. And I got a little, um, tiny little, I guess, um, it is a, like a, I don't know, something you would cook something in, um, but it's, it, 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 it conveniently fits a stick of butter. And so my mother made it into a, a butter container. And it, when I was a little boy, when I'd come home from school, she would have fresh, fresh baked bread for me. And she would go into that butter container and smear some of that fresh bread, uh, butter on that bread. And that little Le Creuset or whatever the hell it was, was on the counter for 50 years since I was a little baby boy. And I asked my sister, I said, can I just have that? And she said, okay. Am I going to sell it? No. I'm going to pass it along to my kids. We're all going to face this inevitability someday. And um, I just wanted to share uh, my feelings on it and how when we leave the earth, all that matters is uh, who loves us. Uh, none of the, the nonsense, none of what you leave behind means anything um, to most people unless they're very selfish and awful people. And so we as a family came together and we went through mom's belongings and we cried and we laughed we did a game at the end of the, uh, the the Saturday night. My mother, she kept things in her cupboard for a very long time, and this happens. Listen, I've got stuff that's expired in my cabinet. You know, it just happens. It's not because you're a hoarder or anything, but we decided to go through Grandma's cabinets and find what was the oldest thing in the cabinet. It wasn't meant to be a diss of any type to my mother, but it was funny. And most of the things were right at their expiration date and still having months in advance. But there was a can of cranberry sauce that I found in the back of the cabinet that mom probably had forgotten about. Didn't he think about it? And it was from 2004 when my, the year before my daughter was born. <laughs> and we all laughed. It wasn't about making fun of my mother. It was about celebrating her and saying, hey, man, she, I guess she, she forgot this was back here. And isn't it kind of funny that she had a can of cranberry sauce at 17 years old? <laughs> I, I've been a, long wind, a little long-winded today, and I apologize. I just wanted to share that story with you. And I, um, I hope as you celebrated Father's Day yesterday and Mother's Day a few weeks ago that you, uh, whether they're with you or they're not, um, you know, just the uh, institute of both are unbelievably awesome and you should take advantage of them if you are a father or mother because it is the greatest title you can have in your entire life okay it's time for me to go guys i appreciate you joining me if you would subscribe to the newsmax daily with me rob carson on apple podcast that would be huge leave a five-star review that would be even more awesomer Check out Newsmax, the daily rundown for the incredible shows on Newsmax, NewsmaxTV.com, NewsmaxTV.com. In the meantime, God bless you. God bless our police. God bless our military. Remember Ashley Babbitt. And above all, don't catch the stupid. Thanks for listening to the Newsmax Daily with Rob Carson. Check your cable guide or NewsmaxTV.com. Or watch free on YouTube, Roku, Apple, Pluto, Zumo, Amazon Fire, and your smart TV. Newsmax, America's fastest growing cable news channel. Check NewsmaxTV.com for details.